On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, Travis Rogers from the Travis and Slee Show on 710 ESPN joins Sue and me. He, of course, is the lead-in show for Mason and Ireland on 710. Plus, reaction from Sue on her first episode of House of the Dragon. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue Blue, Saturday morning. The heat is gone. There's some rain. It finally broke, right? Ah, a well-needed reprieve. It was 104 here the other day. Oh God, insane, insane. We move here for the weather. I know. And last night, Tom and I are watching TV, and it had just. I guess it had just finished raining and he he opened the door and he said, come here, come here. I want you to feel something. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? And I go outside and there was a breeze and it was uh, cool. Yeah, so was nice. So nice. We got a, a great guest coming up today. We've interviewed everybody that I work with, all the major players on the air. We talked to Sedano. We talked to Scott Kaplan. We talked to John Ireland. Uh, we talked to uh, Alan Sliwa. And now we're going to talk to Travis Rogers. So I'm excited about that. But first, gigantic news. If I had, you know, when I do radio, we normally have a, a big uh, a piece of music we play whenever there's breaking news. So I wouldn't mm -hmm. be playing that right now. Uh, <laughs> what is the breaking news, Sue? I watched the first episode of House of the Dragon. Wow. <laughs> what a what a, an amazing concession for you that you would say like, oh, I kind of I shamed you into it, didn't I? Well, I don't know if you shame me. I think you asked me to watch it. Okay. And okay. I respected your request. Excellent. And here I am. And I still don't like, I don't like uh, these kind of shows. Ah, uh, what about that show? All it is is succession with dragons. Oh, God. No, it's not. You know, I just, um, I'm just not crazy about the fantasy drama type of shows. You know, I like more modern day, realistic kind of stuff. Um, first of all, you tell me that you don't like watching crime shows because they're too violent. This was so extreme. <laughs> I mean, like heads coming off, faces being bashed in. Babies being ripped out of a mother's <laughs> stomach. I mean, it was just so vile. Um, it was just, it was, it was painful to watch. <laughs> it was horrible. I just, I just love this. 
<laughs> we could have such an unbelievably different experience watching exactly the same thing. Now I will I will acknowledge Game of Thrones is violent. And I'm not I'm not the one with the violence issue. It's Juan. Like I, I can watch violence on TV. I, it doesn't bother me. Sometimes we don't watch stuff because it's so violent because Juan refuses to watch it. And then I don't want to have a show that I'm watching that he's not watching. Does he watch did he watch Game of Thrones with he you? He does begrudgingly watch Game of Thrones. Uh, How can he if he has an issue with violence? Well, it's I mean, just, for God's sake, he, so watches, over the top. he watches Law and Order. There's somebody dead in the first five minutes every single episode. Yeah, but you're not seeing the brutality. This is so brutal. I mean, and and I, I'm not, I'm not like a wuss when it comes to violence. I just like, I, I, I wanted to throw up. It was so horrible. Really? Yes. Yes. But, That's how but, things were in Westeros. Yeah. Well, I, okay. Well, you know, I missed it because I wasn't alive. You want I the sanitized alive. history of Westeros? No. no, I just don't. I just won't watch it. What I about when we get a, a great guest on from well, uh, then I'll, then, House then, of the Dragon? Then, then I'll have to. I'll have to get up to speed. Yeah. You know, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I tell you my favorite line in the whole first episode okay. was when uh, the princess... The Renera? daughter, Renera, yeah, yeah, yeah Renera, whatever her name is, Rihanna, <laughs> Rihanna, Renera. When she uh, she came to see her mother after she had gotten off the dragon, yes, and her mother said, "Ooh, you stink of dragon! You stink of dragon!" <laughs> exactly. Well, you think and those then her things? Father, don't smell? Her father did the same thing. He says, "Ooh, dragon." <laughs> it, was just, it was so funny to me, and I, and then I wondered, you know, because they. When she got off the dragon, they summoned, you know, ushered the dragon into the, the dragon castle. cave. Yeah. Oh, it's the dragon cave. It's not part yeah. of where they live. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Comes with the dragon cave. Oh, comes uh, with that the was, dragon cave. Yeah. Because yeah. I was wondering if the dragon's allowed on the bed. Oh, yeah. No, probably not. Probably, probably not. not. It's a good Which question. would be an issue for me if I lived back then and I was dating somebody and they Who had allow- a dragon. Well, no, if I had a dragon and they came over to my house and slept over and they had a problem with the dragon <laughs> being on the bed, I wouldn't be able to be with them. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. All right. So, uh, well, good. There's two more episodes you can watch and then one tomorrow night. Catch up. Yeah, well, I don't think so. All right. Um, I'm glad you watched it. Thank you for watching it. That was nice. I'll watch one of yours. Go ahead. Give me one of them foreign language uh, from Australia, something like that. What What are you watching now? Well, there was that show from Belgium um, that I told you to watch. And now I'm, I'm forget. It was uh, oh, Undercover. Yeah. Watch yeah. Watch an episode of Undercover. Is it all in Belgian? It's subtitled, but there is there. They, they do speak. They, they do speak English in some of it. So okay. it's not, I don't think it's all. And that's another thing about this show. What? So the, the foreign language. What, what is this a made up language? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. So I, I'm always, I'm always curious is where, when they determine when they speak it and when they don't speak it. Like there was, there was a, there was one moment where the, 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 da- the daughter was talking to, to the brother, to the brother. And all of a sudden they're speaking this phony language. Cause it's like their, fi- it's, it's their secret way of communicating. Not everybody knows that language. Oh, oh, like, okay. See, I like didn't people know that. switch back and forth between languages. Okay. It's yeah. like dragon Latin. 
<laughs> something like that. Something <laughs> like that. Uh, all right. Well, listen, our guest today has a long and distinguished radio career, almost as long as mine. He is the co-host of the Travis and Sliwa show on 710 ESPN radio in Los Angeles every day from 10 a.m. Leading up to Mason in Ireland, Travis Rogers is here. Travis, thank you so much for doing this, man. Good to see you. Thanks for getting up early on a Saturday. Yeah, no, man, my pleasure. I uh, I, I don't know whether to be thrilled that I'm the fir- the last guy from the station to do it or not. It's like you kind of save the last walk on or or how it goes. The best for last, Travis. The best, best for, for last. last, exactly. I'll take it. I'll so take it. Uh, you know, th- I know you, and yet I don't. You know, I don't know all that much about you uh realistic where where were you raised uh here in, in southern california i uh was born on the west side my uh that's where my mom and dad they they went to a school up in oregon and my mom is from pacific palisades originally so they moved back to la when uh when they finished school and that's where i was born um grew up in arcadia california went to arcadia high school um, and have been in California basically ever since other than a, a very brief time in texas which was about uh, 18 months Hmm. What was uh, what was the defining moment that made you a sports fan? You know, I I had no choice. Quite honestly, I was raised in a in a family of sports fans. My grandfather and grandmother on my mom's side uh, are both SC alums, um, and my grandfather was a crazy sports fan and a hmm. crazy USC fan. He actually he he. He was a broadcaster. He was uh, somebody that worked in in radio um, and did TV for a long time. He was the Channel Four news anchor for a number of years. Worked wow! For CBS radio uh, hosted the John McKay show um, for a long time with with Coach McKay. So I uh, I had no choice. I was going to be my mom as a sports fan. My dad was a college basketball player. Um, I, I was in. It was. I, I didn't know that there was an option to not be one. So how would you describe your growing up years? Was it idyllic? Was it, how, how would you describe it? It's, it's embarrassing to say, but I'm incredibly lucky. Dude, I had a leave it to beaver kid life. I had a mom and dad that took really good care of me. I, I lived in a nice neighborhood. Um, my dad had a, a very steady job, took very good care of our family. Um, we, it was, it was wonderful. I, I it really was. I, I was, you know, I, I, I know now as an adult that uh, how fortunate I was because I would see my, my friends and other families say, Oh, this sucks. And that sucks. I'm like, I, this is a pretty good way to do it. You know, I, I, I like how I uh, was raised. I was very, very lucky. So you, I read that you, uh, you pitched for your, uh, you went to UCSB and you were a pitcher there for, for four seasons. Uh, um, how, how good were you? I, well, I, this is how I'll say it, Sue. I was a very, very good high school baseball player. And a very, very mediocre college one. I was good enough to play beyond high school. Um, and then when I got to high school, so was everybody. Everybody else in high school that goes to play in college is very, very good. And now all of a sudden you're kind of starting from scratch. And I did not have that next uh, gear to go to. I, uh, I loved it. I loved my time playing college baseball. I still follow the Gauchos pretty closely. But I was, I was a very average college player. So what was your stuff like? Like what was your repertoire as a pitcher? <laughs> um I, I, I was a little bit deceiving because I'm a I'm a bigger guy. Um, you would think that I would be, you know, I'm tall and I'm broad and I'm thick. And you think that I'd throw real hard? I didn't. I was a I was a curveball sinker guy. I I threw a lot of strikes. I could move the ball around. Um, but if you couldn't catch up to my fastball, you shouldn't be playing. I was I was not 
throwing it like by. what was it like like how fast 84 85 okay got um, it and, and that's when i was feeling good it was uh it, it was I, I was not a a power pitcher i if i was trying to get ground balls i was trying to get double plays i uh i was not if i struck out four guys in a game it was a lot so did when, you, oh go ahead Sue. no no go ahead go ahead Steve. I, I was gonna say when as you were growing up did you realize hey i might be good enough to pitch at the collegiate level at the next level yeah, it's funny. You, you kind of can tell maybe when you're in about the 10th grade or so, because you're, you're starting to get asked to play on teams with guys that are a lot older than you are. Um, you know, when I was 15, I was playing with 18 year olds. Um, and so, you, and, and doing okay. I was able to kind of hang. Um, that's kind of when you can tell. And then you get invited to go play on some, some travel teams. It's so different now than it used to be that you would have like your area code and they'd put together a team and, and Arcadia at the time was 818 and they put together a little 818 team and you go play 310 and 213 and 714 teams. Um, and if you were on a team like that, you knew because you're going from, I don't know how many public high schools there are in Southern California to, you know, there's now 20 guys on this team. And you've taken everybody and it's gone. So you, you kind of realize at that point that you're going to get to play after high school that, you know, a lot of the guys that I was playing with at that point ended up not playing in college at all because they got drafted right out of high school. They went straight to professional baseball. I was never uh, on that level, but um, yeah. Did you, you ever you think know. you had a chance to play professionally? I did. I did. You know, at the end of high school, I thought if I continue to throw a little harder, if I continue to improve, but the graph for my ability really plateaued in college. I just, I just simply didn't throw hard enough. And they, you know, n now maybe it would be a little different. Not that I would have hitched to the major leagues or anything like that, but with the, the way that they train exclusively for velocity now is a little bit different. My, my youngest son is 16. He's playing high school baseball and it's just a totally different environment to train for more velocity or more this or that. It's so incredibly specialized. Then it was, you know, just run a little more, maybe be in the weight room and do things like that. It was, you either kind of had that electricity in your arm or you didn't, and I didn't. Did you ever think that maybe you could be a knuckleball pitcher? I've tried so many times, Sue. I, I can't do it. it there, there's That's like a witchcraft thing. You either have that or you don't. And I, I could I've had a hundred different people try to show me how to do it. I just can't do it. So how did you meet your wife, Susan? <laughs> well, this kind of goes back to what you were saying a second ago about, you know, how did I grow up? I met my wife in the seventh grade. Yeah, you're like Mayberry RFD <laughs> over there. It's like yeah. uh, happy family, high school sweetheart. I mean, it's yeah. incredible. So it's kind of a funny story. We moved from, um, like I mentioned, I was born here in L.A. My dad worked for Sears. Uh, he got transferred to Arizona when I was in the second grade. Maybe it was the first grade. I forget. Um and so we, we spent a few years there and then we came back to, to Southern California, moved into Arcadia. So I'm starting a new school. It's the middle of the seventh grade year. And I was about as tall as I am now in seventh grade. So I kind of mm. stuck out a little bit and go to this English class and I'm in the back of the room, kind of slumped in my chair, trying to be as inconspicuous as possible. And my wife was the quintessential teacher's pet, brown nosing kind of <laughs> girl. Uh, and so she was the one that would take roll. And so she's going down the roll sheet and it's, you know, Timmy and Tommy and she gets to Travis and she's like, Travis, who's, who's Travis? Who is that? That's a new person. And I'm in the back kind of, you know, that, that's me. And she's like, no, no, no. Are you new? I'm like, yeah, I'm new. Leave, leave me alone. I'm a 12 year old boy who's six foot tall. Leave me alone. I just want to be sitting back here. So she just, she went out of her way to say hello and introduce herself and kind of, she was, she is like she is now. She's incredibly gregarious and she wants everybody to feel comfortable. And that's when I met her 
Um, we didn't start dating until uh, towards the end of high school. But uh, yeah, we were, I was 12 and she was 13. Wow. So you were friends all those years up until yeah. then? We, we lived about maybe an eighth of a mile from each other. Wow. Just literally around the corner. And we were always friendly, um, but we didn't start dating until our junior year of high school. So junior year of high school, and then you wind up married. Were there parts of that time? you Were you together the entire time? Yeah, we both graduated same year, class of 89 at Arcadia High. Um, I went to Santa Barbara. She went to Cal Poly slow. Um, so not super far apart, about 90 miles apart. And we would see each other, you know, a couple of times a month. She, she was, she was far better at making sure to see me than I would, because as a baseball player, you practice on the weekends, you practice after class. So my, my schedule was pretty much locked in. I didn't have a ton of open time to, shoot up to San Luis Obispo and back, but she, she did, she would come down and, and see me. Um, I would get up there whenever I could, but yeah. And then, you know, we both graduated. She went to nursing school. Um, we both moved back to LA and we got married not super far after we graduated from college, about wow. three or four years. Wow. 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 I'm, I'm actually married to a guy that I know since I'm in eighth grade, Okay, but we didn't, we didn't date back then. We you know, got together much later in life, but yeah. I know him my whole life. So, and yeah, it's, it, it's, it's lovely. Isn't it? Because you, it, it's, you have all these common reference points. Most times when, oh, when I was in junior high and the other member of the couple's like, I don't know any of those people. We actually know all of those days when yeah. you had that English teacher from high school. I'm like, oh no, I hated that guy too. <laughs> it's, it's like, you can, you remember all, you have all those common touch points. Uh, back to baseball for a minute. What was your career highlight? Baseball career highlight. Well, that's a, so I guess for me, I, I almost threw a no hit. We, we went to go play in a tournament in North Carolina, University of North Carolina, and there were three ACC teams and three West Coast teams. It was Wake Forest, NC State, North Carolina, and then the West Coast teams were SC, Santa Barbara, and Fullerton. And so we fly out to Chapel Hill and they have, they, they have like an opening ceremony and all that kind of stuff. And there's this big, trophy that's the all tournament team trophy and i remember saying to one of my teammates i said you'd have to as a as a pitcher because you know i was a starting pitcher at that point i said the only way a starting pitcher gets on that is if you throw a no hitter or you throw a complete game in the championship round so i'm starting the very first game of the tournament the next day um against wake forest it's it's a hundred million degrees it's super humid i'm we play in santa barbara where a high is 77 right Right. it's it's perfect every day. So I go there and I'm just pouring. I'm in the bullpen getting warm, just pouring and sweat. I'm like, if I make it three innings, it's going to be a miracle. There's no chance. Fast forward. I have a no hitter with one out in the eighth inning. And, wow. and I am just, I'm done. I'm just throwing marshmallows up there. I got absolutely nothing. We'd scored a bunch of runs. So it was like eight to nothing or something. So there wasn't a ton of pressure to win the game, but I had a no hitter. I needed to get five more outs. And I throw a pitch and it's a big swing and it's a little nubber up the third base line. Wow. And the second it leaves the bat, I'm thinking, yeah, this is, uh, th- this is, this is an infield hit because I'm not going to get there. The third baseman's not going to get there. Sure enough, infield hit, no hitter broken. Next guy, home run. Ah. Next guy, double. And I'm out of the game. So do you believe that's a, do you believe that's a thing that it was it psychological or was it you were, your arm was done? It was all of the above. It was once the spell was broken, once they had gotten a hit, once that was gone, it was over. So as far as like college athletic achievements, that was the closest I ever came to doing something really, really cool. Um, in high school, we got to the CIF semifinals my sophomore year, lost in 14 innings to uh, 
uh, I want to say it was at Esperanza High, some Mountain View, some, something like that. One of those uh, Huntington Beach schools. Um, we were a game away from going to play at Dodger Stadium when I was four, 15, maybe 16. Wow. And, uh, I, I, and I didn't play very much on that team, but it, it was so, so close. That would have been a real treat. So what's the most pitches you were allowed to pitch? I mean, as a young player. Yeah, it was it was different. Uh, like I mentioned, my my youngest son Michael is a pitcher in high school right now, and they keep such careful count on on how they how many pitches they throw right now. And and as you guys know, you know Major League Baseball, once you get to that hundred, it's like that's about it. That's as far as you're going to go. It was nothing like that when I was playing. Um, I pitched a ten inning game against Cal State Northridge, um, where I threw 148 pitches. <gasps> wow! Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, and, and it was and it was literally no big deal. It was like, okay, we'll put some ice on that. You'll run for you know three or four days, and we'll see you again in, in, on the fifth day. And it, it's not the day after or the the start after that. It's like the second and third start after one of those super long days where your arm feels like it's barely holding on. But it, it wasn't like a this unbelievable achievement. It's just kind of what everybody did back then. You just, you pitched until you were behind. And if you never fell behind, you kind of kept going. Now, did you always want to work in the uh, broadcasting business? Yeah, I did. Um, you, like I mentioned, my grandfather was a guy that was on TV. He was on radio. He loved um, the, the Trojans. And we were always around it. He, he worked for Channel 11. He worked. He was the editor of The Hollywood Reporter. Like, he had all of these wow. really cool jobs. Uh, worked at Hollywood Park. Like, And I was just struck by how much he enjoyed what, was that he, what he did. And it never really seemed like there was like work. It's like, what do you mean? You're going to the track? Well, that sounds fun. You're going to an SC game? Well, that sounds fun. And I always loved sports. I wanted to do it. I wanted to play. And once I realized I couldn't play anymore, that then I said, okay, let's find a way to, to stick around and, and do this. And that's when I decided to concentrate. I originally thought that, you know, this is the late 80s, early 90s that I wanted to do a uh, sports center. I wanted to be a sports center anchor. Yeah, sure. And, and that, you know, I started as an intern at KEYT in Santa Barbara, uh, Channel 3, ABC affiliate, yeah. um, on their Friday night high school football show. And, and that's, that was it. I, I, I did that for a year and a half at Santa Barbara, graduated and didn't get a job right away. Got a little discouraged and went and, uh, sold copiers for Canon mm. for about 10 months. And then I got uh, a job in radio with Jim Rome as Mace knows. Um, and that was it 27 years ago. Wow. So, so who were your radio, who were your radio heroes? Who did you listen to? The, the guy that I listened to religiously, and I didn't even kind of get it at the time. I just knew it was funny and I knew it made me laugh was Jim Healy. Sure. That J Jim Healy was so funny and it was weird and it was creative and it was a little bit for the time. It was a little bit inappropriate. It was, it was just, it was so good. And it was just this, Man, you guys know the show, but just this mashup of drops from all yep. of these crazy moments. It was, was so far ahead of its time. And I, and, and I, I want to say it was maybe a half an hour a day. It was a half an hour. Yeah. I was going to say that was one of the appeals of the show was that you could kind of get the day with a bunch of jokes in 30 minutes. Um, and that's what made, that was part of, I think, Jim Healy's magic. Yeah, no, he, so I listened to him as often as I could and, and not to try to make you feel old, Mace, but I was a huge 690 fan. You know, oh. I would listen to all the shows on 690. I would listen to you and John. I would listen to, um, um, uh, you know, Jim, obviously, to Hacksaw, to Chet Forty and Steve Hartman. I mean, I, I listened to that station all the time and, I, and, and not in an immodest way, but I'm like, I think I can do that. 
you know, I, I think I can, I, cause I, I know what they're talking about. I have opinions on these things. And that's when it was, okay, I need to try to find a way to get back into this. So were you with Rome at the very beginning of his show or did you come on after he'd gotten started? I, I came on afterwards. So he, he's about 10 years older than I am. Um, and he came up when I was still playing baseball at Santa Barbara, he came up to MC our baseball banquet, our head coach, Knew Jim. Jim was work, had worked in Santa Barbara for a while and he invited Jim to come up and Jim had just gotten on 690. And so he, he was doing the MC thing for our banquet. And my head coach knew that I, he goes, you need to go introduce yourself to this guy. And I'm like, eh, you know what? I didn't know. No, I don't. It, well, who, you know, who is this guy? What does it matter? Well, fast forward a couple of years. I remember sending Jim a resume like, Hey, we met briefly at this thing. And, uh, th- I started with Jim maybe six months, maybe nine months after the whole Jim Everett situation. So he's been, oh, on, okay. a while. He's been on TV for a minute. Um, I caught him after he really kind of went where everybody knew him because of, of what happened with Jim Everett. Do you, do you feel any authorship over anything he did? Like, were you, did you invent stuff for his show? How did that work? Well, I, I mean, I did the, the smack off that they've been doing forever and ever. That was my idea. Um, that, and, and it was born out of laziness, quite frankly. We, we, we wanted a day where we didn't want to have to do it. You yeah. Know, where it was a, what if there was just one day where we did nothing and all we did was just make the callers try to entertain us. And that was kind of the genesis of the idea. Um, it worked. I, uh, yeah, I take a great deal of, of, of authorship in some of the things he did because I wrote a, a lot of the things that you would hear on the radio. I would collaborate with Jim and, and help him write. I, I had a, I had a hand in a lot of that stuff. I take a great deal of pride in that. Um, it, it was a, it was an unbelievable experience getting to be there as long as I was and see that thing grow the way it did. And I got to participate in just about all of it. It was great. I was going to ask you, so you were on air with him as well? As no, the produ- I wasn't. No. I, I, was, uh, I was the producer, and he would put me on occasionally, but not very often. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was intimately involved in the construction of the show every single day. Jim works a little bit differently than like Mace and I do, that we kind of have some ideas of what we want to talk about, but it's not written, you know, scripted out. And Jim Jim would write basically big chunks of dialogue that he wanted to to recite, and he was wonderfully gifted at reciting. It's almost like an actor being able to learn his lines and go out and deliver them um, in a really compelling way. But no, I, I wasn't on air until after they sacked me and I had to go find another way to make a living. And I figured that was a, a more lucrative side of the building. What was that? Well, let's talk about the sacking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hear What that. happened? Um, well, it, so I was there 15 years. 13 and change of them were really, really good. And it just went bad you know it just we stopped communicating it just did it just with jim you're kind of either in or you're out i was in for a really long time then all of a sudden i found myself out and was never able to work myself back in um and it just got to the point where it was not a good environment for everybody um it was time for me to go but they were the guys that i worked for at the time were very very generous i wasn't going to leave so they fired me and it was it was i think it was beneficial for everybody it 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 sucks, as as you guys know. If you do this long enough, you're going to get fired from one of these jobs. That's just the the way that it goes. But uh, yeah, it was it was wasn't great. It it, it really kind of put me in a place that wasn't in the best mental health of my entire life. But mm-hmm. uh, it uh, you know like it's it's cliche, but it it happened for a good reason. It it worked itself out. And and how soon after did you get another radio gig? 
Well, I didn't work. So after they, they fired me, I didn't work for maybe a year. Mm. Um, so they, I had a contract with them that, that was another year or so long. And plus, um, I had some severance that was coming because they, you know, for how long I'd been there and everything else. So I had some runway. I had about 15 months before I really had to go back and find something. And I found something about a year later in Houston. That's what ultimately um, took me and my family to Houston. So uh, fired by the Jim Rome show, what's your relationship or do, is there a relationship now between you and Jim? There isn't. Um, I we haven't spoken to each other since I what would that be two thousand and nine? I think was mm. my last year there. Um, I don't think he wants to have. I be you know I was there fifteen years, and once you were out, that was it. There were very few people that came back in, so I don't think that I'm unique in that regard. I would be, you know, absolutely interested in, in having a relationship and reconnecting. I learned a lot from him, but if he doesn't, that's fine too. I I, I can I can go either way. And you wouldn't be the one to reach out to him? No, I don't think so. I, I you know, like I said, I, I've been, I've heard through the grapevine that that's not something that he's interested in. So that, that's okay with me. If, if it happens, great, but I don't have to have it. Okay. So I want to, I want to check a story with you. We've talked about this on, on the show before. I don't remember if we talked about it with you, but there was a long time ago, 2010, uh, it was the eve of game seven of the NBA finals. Uh, John was re- ready to call play-by-play, and I was ready to do pregame and postgame for the Lakers. Uh, this was against the Celtics. And uh, they called us to dinner on the eve of that game and said, "We Travis uh, David uh, Singer was our producer at that point. And they said, uh, yeah, we want to move on from Dave, and we've got the guy that we want to replace him with, and it's Travis Rogers." And so the dinner did not go well because here, first of all, it had nothing to do with you because I don't think I really knew you. Right. Uh, uh, but it was, you know, we're right in the middle of this great moment, you know, NBA finals about to win a championship and they're, they're trying to change our producer. So, and John and I reacted like this. We think Travis wants to be on the air more than he wants to be a producer. Was that fair on our part? Uh, half fair because I, I was, I remember interviewing for that job. I remember being told I was going to get that job and starting to prepare for it and was excited about it. That being said, I did have ambitions of being on the air. Yes. Mostly because I knew I I went from working with Jim and of all the things I will say about Jim and working with the the folks, but they were remarkably generous. The, The pay was good. Uh, and then making the transition from that show to basically any other show was going to be a step down as a producer, at least financially. So I started to think about, okay, how can I get back to that level of income that I had before? Well, most of that is on this side of the mic, right? It's, it's not in producing, it's in performing and hosting. Um, so yeah, I did start to throw some lines in the water. So you, you weren't wrong, but I was also, ex- cause I, I, like I mentioned you before, I knew you guys, and I didn't know you well personally, but I certainly knew of you and, and John and the show and the impact in the footprint that you guys had in LA. So I was excited to be a part of that, but yeah, I was, uh, I was looking across the, the street too. There sure. Sure. There to be on the air. I would have jumped on it. So what was what what was your first on air gig in Houston? So I, I um I had a friend who was on the air. It was and it was a brand new station in Houston. It was, it was a startup, um, and a buddy of mine got one of the shows there, and he started to put me on as a regular guest. I would go on every Friday and do like a half an hour with him and his uh, his co host John Harris, 
and it went well. And then I would fill in when one of those guys would be out occasionally. And then finally they offered me my own show there. But that was, uh, David Gao, uh, was the guy running the station out there. And he was the first one that said, you know what? Even with virtually zero experience, um, let's put them on. And then I got back to LA a couple of years later. So, so when you, oh, no, just real quick, when you yeah. came on, did you, did you come on? Did you have like a special segment that was like a Travis Rogers kind of thing, or you just came on for half an hour? Yeah, I would come on, and I want to say it started as kind of a college football thing. We would, because me and my buddy, we would always kind of text back and forth and, and just talk about the weekend of college football just between the two of us. And he's like, this would actually be a good segment. And so we went on the air and we would do that. And then once college football ended, they'd bring me on and we'd talk about the NFL or the NBA or whatever. It just kind of, that's how it started. But it was just, I was a friend of the show. And, and in Houston in particular, people didn't know who I was because that was a very successful market for Jim. Um, they, they, we'd had a really good run in there for a number of years. So it wasn't like I was a totally unknown commodity, but I was an unknown commodity as far as being a, a host was. So I want to ask you about being a dad. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't have kids who doesn't have kids. Um, how did your world change when you became a dad? Well, you know, it, it's better for sure. It's different for sure. Um, it, it, this is cliche and it's a terrible answer. I really don't remember what it was like prior to having children as an adult. Like I remember what it is to be a kid. I remember what it was to be in college, but my wife and I got married when I was 25. We had our kids when I was 28, maybe 29. And so there was only a really short period of time where I was like a, a working person without any kids. Um, we had, you know, we had two, two and a half years apart, all three of them still in the middle of it. My oldest, uh, is 21. Uh, my daughter's a sophomore at San Diego State. And then my youngest is a junior in high school. Um, it, it becomes the thing you do first every day. It becomes the thing that you look forward to doing first every day. I mean, I, I've been really lucky in, in my professional life and I take it very, very seriously. I, I work hard at it, but this is the stuff that needs to get done every single day. I'm, I have a great partner in Susan. She does far more than I do. Um, but I, I love it. I love going to their games. I love going to their, their stuff. I, I look forward to it. You know, Mason, I know you've heard uh, John and I talk about playing golf and stuff. He's like, you played. And I know Michael had a baseball tournament. Kelly had a volleyball tournament. I just, I loved going to those things. I like getting to see him do it. And we are about a year and a half away from being empty nesters. And I don't want to do it. I, mm. I don't know what comes next. I'm, I'm going to miss them terribly. Get a dog. <laughs> well, yeah. see, here's, I can't do that too because from the day that the, the my oldest was old enough to know what a dog is, he started asking for one. As did his sister. As did his younger brother. So if the second they were all gone, we got a dog. I don't think they'd ever talk. Yeah, to they'd be pissed. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the most viable parenting lesson you learned from your parents? Be patient. That, 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 like the moms and dads, they get super mad because kids do super stupid shit. Um, it's just, but you just, you need to be patient. That somebody else told me this. I, my, my mom and dad didn't tell me this, but they executed it every day. But when I heard it verbalized, it made a whole bunch of sense. Only get worked up over the big stuff. And there's almost no big stuff. There, there's really, really very few things that are big, big deals. There's little things along the way that, you try to adjust, but my, my mom and dad, and in particular, my dad is the most patient, kind, 
man I've ever known. And, and I can count on one hand the time I've seen him really, really angry and he, he should have been. <laughs> um, but yeah, just patience and realize that, you know, they're little kids and, or they're young adults and they do dumb stuff and just take a deep breath and try to fix it, try to offer some counsel. But patience is, is key. I wish, I wish I had more. And, and again, this is something that I'm sure that you've asked other parents about too, and heard something similar. I wish that I had the ability to go back and do it over again as a younger, with the energy of a younger person, with the perspective of an older person and just realize it's okay. If they're a little noisy in the restaurant, it's okay. If they won't do this or that, it's not a big deal. You don't always have to have your thumb to try to make sure that they're doing it. Everybody kind of gets it. And just knowing that, you got to go through it a few times before you realize, hey, everybody else is okay with your kid being a little crazy. He's two years old. We get it. You don't have to get as worked up. I, I was not very good at it. Again, Susan's better at that than I am, but patience is everything. I think it's everything and everything, huh? You're probably right. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think of it, you know, with, with, with my relationship. I think about it with friends of mine or people that I work with, you know. Uh, you know, you just uh, you just have to let certain things yeah, go. Mo- most you know? things, yeah. Yeah. So, was your first gig at seven ten the morning show? Yeah, with Kelvin. So i I went from Houston back to uh, Southern California. Went to work um, at eight thirty. The Angel Station um, was doing that for a while. They because seven ten. This is a little inside. When when seven ten decided that they didn't want to run Mike and Mike anymore. Yeah. So all of a sudden that 830 has a quasi ESPN relationship, or at least they did at the time. They decided that they were going to take um, Mike and Mike, which kind of left me nowhere because that's the spot I was doing at 830. And Mike Thompson, um, I got in touch with him and said, hey, you know, I'm looking. He said, well, I have this idea of doing something kind of super early in the morning, um, like from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. I got a, I got one of the guys I know want to do it, who was Kelvin. And we're bringing in a bunch of guys yeah. to see who may be a good fit with him. And I did a couple of like Saturday shows with um, Kelvin. Kelvin and I clicked. And, and it was, I, I really honestly think that Kelvin was the one who made the final decision to to say, I want to do it with with Travis. Um, and Mike signed off on it. And yeah, so we did that year and a half, maybe. And then how do you wind up on the show with Keyshawn or how does it morph into the thing with Keyshawn that you guys wound up doing? So it went from, I was doing the super early mornings with Kelvin. Kelvin got pulled up to replace Max with Max and Marcellus. Right. So Kelvin was doing, it was, it was Marcellus and Kelvin for a while. Kelvin got fired from that show. I was kind of like, I turned into Chris Taylor, for lack of a better word. I was wherever, wherever anybody needed anything. Yeah. You were the ultimate utility guy. Yeah. Then they brought in Sean Farnham with Marcellus. That lasted about a day. No, literally, it was it was less than a week. I mean, and we're not joking. It really was less than a week. It was really close. Um, so I got a chance to fill in for him when he was doing college basketball. Marcellus and I clicked. And so we started doing that. Marcellus leaves to go to Fox. And now <laughs> I'm kind of in the afternoon by myself with a rotating cast. Now, um, what what is it like when you're, what's the transition like when you're going from working on a show from person to person? Is there like a period of, a, of adjustment or with some people, you know, you go from one person to the other and you just click? I kind of look at it in the role that I'm in, especially when you're doing a show with somebody like Marcellus or Keyshawn or, or LZ is to put them in a position to do what they do really, really well, which is be themselves, say what they say. I, I, I'm kind of like the point guard in that situation to make sure they do it. Sometimes it happens like that and you feel really good. 
Sometimes you don't. With those guys in particular, it happened really fast. I, I really deeply enjoyed doing shows with them. Um, yeah, it, it, it's like when we first started with Kelvin, for instance, it took a minute to, to kind of find a, a little bit of a rhythm there. Um, we did, I think, ultimately find it, but there's no kind of one way to do it. You kind of try. And I was in, when I did with Kelvin, I was in the other chair. I, Kelvin was kind of in the, the A, I was kind of the B and it was a, that's, I, I'm far less comfortable in that role than in the other one. Yeah. But it's uh, so much easier to be the oh, B. Totally. It's, it's much easier, but to me, and this is just, it's, it's, it's less interesting. Yeah. It, it's because you're reacting as opposed to kind of throwing the pitches. You're just kind of knocking them back. But, uh, yeah. So that's, so sometimes it happens really quick and sometimes it, it doesn't. So how did it happen with, uh, sleep? Sleep was pretty quick. Again, like sleep was the one that suggested to me because you, you might know better than I do, Mace. Um, he would do in Sliwa at sunset. Like that was like <laughs> right before the pandemic hit, right? Yes. Uh, it, and during the pandemic. Yeah. And, so he, I mean, you could not have given him a more difficult assignment, a guy that was really green, a guy. And then by the way, there's nothing to talk about that. That was, yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. That, that's a lot. Um, so. When we got cranked back up again and they were going to put him on in at night again, he said to me, Hey, do you want to do it with me? I said, Yeah, if they're, if they're cool with it, I, I'd love to do it. Um, we knew each other a little bit, like running into each other at the coffee pot, but I didn't know him. Um, and we started doing it. And with Al, it happened pretty, because I'm Mason knows this. I'm genuinely intrigued in sleep. Like I, I, I want to feel that. I want, I want to know what's going on in there. So I, I love like every once in a while I get a little bit of that layer off and it's, it's endlessly fascinating. I mean, he's got a good sense of humor. He's super dry and all of those things that I, that I really like. I, I enjoy doing the show with him a great deal. So is there a big difference, uh, morning, afternoon, evening? Um, can you do the same show in every time slot? I, no, I think is the answer. Um, I, I can't try to do what I do differently. I kind of just do what I do and whether it's it. I've been on every day part there is to be on radio other than overnights. That's the only one I haven't done. I've done morning show, mid mornings, midday's, afternoon drive and seven to nine. I've done all of them. I just try to, you, I think the later into the day you get, the, the looser you can get a little yeah. bit. Um, but I just kind of do what I do and whether that's good for a morning or an afternoon or a nighttime audience, I guess is up to programmers. How long do you see you and Slee doing the show? As long as they'll let us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoy doing it. I, I get, I don't, I don't know what else I would do. I don't know how to do anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, like if you said to me, you know, I, what, what can you do? Nothing. I, I, I can talk. I know what's going on in the Dodgers and the Rams. I can take in some information and try to spin it in an entertaining way, but I want to do it for long because I really do think, like, I think you guys are a great example of this, Mace. The longer you do it with somebody, the better it gets. The more familiar you get, the more you understand what that other person needs from you and they understand what you need for them. Um, in the grand scheme of things, we're still relatively new. This is a year and a half, give yep. or take, a little bit more. So, you know, I would like to think that a year from now would be a little better and a year from that would be a little bit better, but I, I, <laughs> It's these radio, are, man. These are decisions that are not mine to make. Yeah. And it, it'll be what it is. Well, you know, I'm a P1. I love the show. I love Thank the show. You. So, uh, all right. So la last thing for you. I like this question. What do you aspire to? You know, it's a, God, that's a really good question. Um, 
I aspire, this is going to sound so corny. I aspire to be like my dad. I aspire to, I, I, I watch him interact with people and he's quasi retired right now. Everywhere he goes, people are thrilled to see him. They're, they're so happy to be in his presence to they, they, he makes other people feel really good. Hmm. I'm excited to see him. My mom and he have been together 52 years or whatever it is. Um, he's an incredible dad and granddad and all those sorts of things. And just to be able to do that. And by the way, he, he worked like crazy. Like he, he was, he was a highly successful executive in a really big company, but never kind of wore it like that. He was just dad and all those things. And I try to be a good dad. I try to be a good husband and all those sorts of things. I, I take my career very, very seriously. But if I could be a lot, if anybody ever said anything, you know, you remind me a lot of your dad, I would take that as the ultimate compliment. I want to ask you one thing because I asked Sliwa, I, I, this is the question I asked Sliwa. When it comes to predicting games, which is a big, big part of your job, okay, how often are you right? About half the time, which which is pretty good, you know, because I, I, I'm a little bit biased when it comes to the Rams, but the other ones, I try to look at it pretty objectively. So if I think something's going to not pop, I'll, I'll say it, but Look, this is why we like it, right, Sue? That I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen in these things. If you did, you know, we wouldn't be doing this. We, we'd be living a very different life. I think if you can get them about half right, that's pretty good. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I learned not to gamble on these games because I have no idea how it's going to go. It's really, really hard to see the future. Yeah, it's, a, it's at best. Even when you follow it as close as we do and keep track of everything and storylines and injuries and all that, it's still... 50 50 it's still 50 50 why we watch right i mean if you knew if we knew what was going to happen it's not nearly as interesting it's like watching a movie the second time it's still good but it's not quite the same when you don't know what happens next yeah hey listen trav this has been great man this has been great i really appreciate you doing it it's been really cool um go rams yes you know i'm right there with you yeah absolutely and uh and uh love uh love travis and sliwa love listening to the show and we wanted to get you on here so thanks for doing it Thank you, guys. I'm, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. There you have it. There is Travis Rogers on 710 ESPN leading into my show every single day from 10 until 1 p.m. Great guy. Learned a lot of stuff. Had no idea he had grown up in such an idyllic family. Uh, all right. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at SteveMason.com. Please take a minute. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Really important. Really helps the show. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Sue, thank you very much. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. <laughs>